On today's episode, I spoke with Drew Brucker about startup marketing and growing Lasso's ARR by 11x in just 24 months. He actually helped reverse engineer some of the things that he did to grow Lasso and also chatted a little bit about AI. So let's dive right into this episode. If you wouldn't mind just kind of walking through a brief overview of what your careers looked like, the different roles you've been in and kind of where you are now, where you've ended up on what you really like doing, what you really care about in marketing. It's really interesting because I, I don't think my story is um, uncommon in the sense that like a lot of us have non-traditional or non-linear pathways to where we are. And uh, for me specifically, like I take a lot of pride in development, continuing to learn, continuing to challenge my perspectives, lean into the things that I'm passionate about. So those things have changed over time, right? I mean, we're different people now than we were five, 10 years ago. Um, I started my career in uh, sports, actually, on the sales side. So I worked for the St. Louis Cardinals in their front office. I did uh, account, uh, ticket sales, group ticket sales, and uh, then sort of, you know, ventured outside of sports in the sales realm, didn't really have um, a lot of great first sales jobs. You know, looking back at some of the opportunities that exist now and, you know, the, the SaaS space, you know, a lot of that wasn't really developed at that time. and so. You know, my idea of what sales was and those opportunities that existed, given the technology that was available, they're totally different roles. Um, you know, I've worked for, for example, AT&T doing cold calling ad sales out of the yellow pages, right? Like boiler room type stuff, uh, you know, things that just aren't sexy. And so a lot of my sales career um, was that I, I was, I had success with it, but it never really spoke to me in that way. And it ultimately resulted in me taking a step back in terms of the comp that I was making to find a sales role that felt more like me. And what that looked like was diving into property management, leasing apartments, right? Um, and I started there, it wasn't, wasn't sexy. I didn't make a lot of money, but I thought, hey, look, like the opportunity to connect with people face-to-face, -face, right? To build rapport and relationships in person. I feel like this is more my speed. So once I did that, I really like found my groove in terms of the strengths that I could offer, the way that I would sell and uh, spent quite a bit of time with the same company, three years, built a really good reputation there uh, because I was also really young. And at that age, right, this was sort of the digital transformation and the social media transformation. And I leaned into that and I was training some of the teams uh, internally at our company there. I was doing marketing and thinking about marketing a little bit differently than everybody else in the traditional side. And I just got to a point where I had done so well at the company, I kind of hit that ceiling. I was just wondering what's next. And I, I basically pivoted into a marketing role within the property management space um, at the executive and regional level. So I was working with all of the area vice presidents, uh, the C-suites of the company, and basically handling marketing initiatives for our entire portfolio across the nation. So I think it was um, maybe 120 or 150 different communities spread out across the nation. I would talk about things that, look, I experienced firsthand as you know, somebody that had sold these apartments and then also put on a marketing hat and think about, hey, how could I drive you know, more traffic through the door or increase our perception or our sentiment? And I didn't know anything about marketing at that time. I just had somebody that took a chance on me. I had a really great boss and allowed me to learn. and. Um, it was there that I really found my curiosity, my passion, 
uh, and that was in marketing. And I spent some time there. I rose really quickly in that company. I pivoted over to the the, the tech startup uh, space, also kind of parallel to property management. And that was how I made that leap into tech. And then from there, I ventured outside of property management into just you know the startup scene in general uh, in B2B in a number of different niches. And uh, yeah, I've just loved it ever since. And so I've, I've primarily worked on small startup teams, you know, usually five or six marketers at the most, um, early stage for the most part, I, I have done a, a little bit of later stage and, um, yeah, I just love the challenge that comes with building and feeling the impact tangibly, right? Like I, I like that and not having a lot of the obstacles or red tape or, um, you know, political jockeying that occurs when you get to a certain level. So that allowed me to really take advantage of my creativity, my curiosity and imagination in terms of like what we're trying to build and what we're trying to do. So one, one experience in particular at, at Lasso, you grew Lasso over the course of 2020 or 24 months by about 11 times, roughly. Um, love it. Let me know if that number is correct. But in that experience, I'm curious, going back to the very beginning of it, what marketing looked like at the company then versus what yeah. it looked like kind of kind of near the end. In other words, like take me through the before after bridge of your time at Lasso. Yeah. In order to do this justice, I need to give you a little bit of detail on Lasso. So Lasso is a, a vertical SaaS company in the live event production space. So I took that job in April, 2021. Um, and when I took that job, right, COVID was still happening, right? Like there were still residuals of, of what was happening. And we all know that live events completely shut down during COVID. So there was already a little bit of risk in my mind of like, hey, like I'm making this jump. Is this going to be a safe place to jump? Number one. Um, two, when I got there, I also learned, right, like that the existing marketing team that had been there had left when COVID sort of initially happened. It was just a very skeleton crew. Like it was one or two people. Um, it had never scaled up, right? Because it was it was a Series A company. And so it got put on pause. Those people left. When I showed up, marketing hadn't been touched in a year, right? So it's basically like starting from scratch. Anything that you had at that time is probably outdated. I showed up, right? Like looking at the branding, the things that we have, the offering, the, the messaging, the position that we have, it all needed to be reworked. And I looked at that from a couple of different angles, not only just from my individual experience of what that meant, but also like talking to customers, um, getting some of the quantitative and qualitative sentiment and factoring that in and saying like, look, we have a lot of work to do here. Um, so yeah, I mean, the early days of that were myself, right? Like leading that team. I had two other people that I hired with me um, trying to understand a niche industry, right? Which takes some time trying to understand the people within the company, which takes time. And then trying to lead those people that you, that you, that you hired without a lot of context yourself within the space. So there were immediate challenges, right? Like, I'm not going to say those first six months were easy by any means. It was a lot of work. Um, and I think it was just one of those things where you had to dive in and really um, get some objective data to work with, right? Like really understand and audit what you have in front of you. And so once I was able to do that, um, I think that's where things changed, right? Like we didn't have any content at the time. So I had to find somebody that could create content and I've, I've got a content background, but I've always been big on 
scaling content, using internal SMEs, like from my first time, you know, in SaaS, that was one of the first things I learned and discovered was the fastest way to create content is to get with these SMEs. Don't try to like learn all of the lingo overnight, right? I'm going to go straight to the source and find a way to use that as my content, right? There's no reason for me to hire somebody outside the space, get them coached up, ramped up, and then try to facilitate that back. And so what we did, you know, like one of the, one of the first things we did was um, start to lean into that, scale that out. There were a number of ways that we did, we did that, right? Like through video. So we did a podcast, which is not uncommon now, right? But like at that time, that was still sort of like a newer thing. I didn't know much about it, but I thought about it from the lens of, it doesn't matter if we have, if, if we have a single subscriber to this, it's still the best lever we can pull to create content at scale from our founder, right? And our founder has been in the space for a long time and knows all the intricacies, all the nuances. So if we can do a podcast, talk about the things that we know based on education or sentiment or surveys that we've gotten and feed that out into the space, then we're going to have plenty of use cases for this. And so that was, that was method number one, right? Like it was with the podcast as an anchor and then splitting it and multi-purposing it and repurposing it uh, into different channels that we are leveraging. And then, you know, the other part of that was really like leaning into the internal SMEs from a video standpoint. So, you know, what we discovered over time is we wanted to bring out the human element of the people working at the company. So the head of marketing, the head of sales, the, you know, CS, some of our CS people, uh, support people, product, our founders, like let's come to the table with some very specific and various questions for them, record it all. Right. And then, and then outsource that work to get split up into all these clips. Right. So we can answer the questions of like, Hey, what is like, what do we want our prospects or our customers to know that we're working on? Right. Or like, what are the biggest challenges that we see? Right. Or like we wanted to really lay down that bridge, um, because no one else was doing it. And so that allowed us to scale, right. Because if we had 10 SMEs, and we had 10 questions and we split those up into individual questions and they're all on video, right? You've got a hundred pieces of content you can work with just right there, right? And that's, that's just at a general level, let alone the different channels that you can extend those to. So there were things like that where you can really uh, punch above your weight class and look bigger than you are just by being a little bit more methodical and strategic about the way you're doing content. So we, we leaned heavily uh, into the content side and then it was really just about the brand and the positioning because um, as with a lot of companies, right? Like, especially early on, you start to develop more and more within the product and you feel like you, you're compelled to say all these things about the product. But at the end of the day, it's like simplifying the complex. What are the one to three things that you want these people to walk away with if they visit your site and focus on that, right? So then it became a whole thing of brand positioning, exercises, right? Like UX on the website. How do we want this experience to be in order to drive the revenue? So that's just sort of like a high level view, uh, maybe some tactical advice in there of what worked for us. But I mean, it wasn't any one thing. It was just trying to think smarter with the resources that we had. And that was a smaller budget and a smaller team that was moving fast. What, what was the connective tissue between content and sales? Because I know that that's, that's a big thing that many companies still struggle with is, okay, well, I know content's good. Most companies know that at this point, whether they're doing a video podcast first or a blog first, they have their preferences, but we know content's good. 
the question is always, how do we translate that into something below that, beneath that in the funnel? How do you think about that connective tissue between content and sales or what does the funnel look like or, you know, what did it look like for Lasso? Yeah, I mean, like there's there's no, there's not an answer here that's going to surprise anybody. It's it's just, um, you know, you really have to think more like a single team than two teams, you know, and I think that comes down to making sure that communication is solid, it's consistent, you're transparent and people can kind of put their egos aside and really think about what's in, you know, the best interest of your potential customer, your current customers. And so what that looked like for us at Lasso was we only had one salesperson and we had three or four marketers. So the marketers were sort of already there. The salesperson that we had had been there for a while, three or four years she was there at that time, but she was a great source of knowledge. And so we did leverage her, right? But I think we were also able to kind of get a head start on some of the things that us as marketers knew and then layer that in as we became more um, of a sales motion, right? So we ended up hiring a VP of sales, adding SDRs, yada, yada. And so when that happened, um, we had already established a really good communication structure, a consistency, a cadence with the AE that was there. Uh, we had pretty good insights. We could layer those things in. And then after that, it's just layering those other obstacles, you know, those other, I guess, connected pieces in. What are, what are the things that sales gold on? What are the KPIs that they're gold on? Do they know what we're weighed, weighed against? Um, and, you know, trying to assess, I guess, some of, the, some of the higher priority needs that they have. You know, like some of the harder parts about that are when sales thinks they need something, right? And marketing's like, well, I don't know, do you? You know, are you going to use it? You know, so I think like you, you guys, you know, all, everybody on the team has to be aligned uh, in the sense of, hey, look, there are a million things we could do, but what are the few things that we actually should? And here's why we're doing it. And not necessarily the output. But like you and I were talking about before we jumped on this, the outcome, right? So you leave with the outcome that you're trying to get, then you move to the output that's going to get you there. One last question around Lasso, and then I, I want to chat AI just for, for a minute. But at Lasso, now looking, looking back at that experience, or, or maybe even across the other experiences you've had, if you could go back and shortcut anything or do anything differently, do anything better, what, what would that be? Oh, man. You know, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's at Lasso, but, um, you know, up in, up until I think the role before Lasso, um, you know, as a marketer, I, I, you know, and just given the way technology was and the ability to, I guess, communicate and network with what other people are seeing and doing, you were almost confined to the people that already were there at the company or the other marketers around you in learning and understanding what's going on. And what I mean by that is like, when I moved on from that property management regional role into more of the, the SaaS side of that, I was surrounded by a bunch of smart people that had different perspectives, but that was it, right? Like you're dependent on who's there to learn and understand what some of those things are. And so for me, I don't think I really understood right away how important it was to get as much qualitative feedback from customers and prospects as possible to then drive 
some of the decisions that you're making, especially when you're a little bit light on the experience. You know, so what I mean by that is I think a lot of marketers, right, we we take a lot of guesses or we think this is going to work or like we sort of say, hey, this sounds better, but does it like does it actually speak uh, to them like you want they want to be spoken to? Does it resonate? You know, I think there's that void that exists and I wish I would have found that earlier. You know, I think uh, if if I could do anything, but uh, I'm I'm definitely like one of those believers of everything happens for a reason. I like to learn. Like I don't I don't look at those as failures. I just look at them as this was an opportunity to learn, and this is what I did with it. But that's one of the things that sort of irks me. If I could go back, let's let's shift gears to one last bit about AI here. Um, you've probably been asked at nauseum how you use ChatGPT and and all this stuff. Kind of adjacent to that. Let's let's go a little bit deeper. What are the AI workflows in marketing that are like most worthwhile to you or you're most excited about? Mm. Workflows. I think for like for me, it's it's probably, you know, really on the brand side and, and things that I'm doing right now. Uh, what I mean by that is, yes, I use ChatGPT a lot. Use it every day, personal, professional. I found a lot of use cases, too many to name here. Um, but what I found fascinating, what was very interesting to me was I'm a photographer as a hobbyist. I'd done it for a long time when I had kids. Some of those opportunities to take photos whenever I wanted or edit photos whenever I wanted just sort of went out the window, right? Time's, time's a little bit hard to find. Um, I started experimenting with the text to image generation, right? So tools like Midjourney or Dolly. Think of um, for me, it was Midjourney. You know, it was a lot of fun at first, right? It was like, hey, this is really cool. You create images with AI, right? And then it got to this point where the quality became so good that it's like, this makes sense in business. This now actually has value and utility in business. Right. And so one of the things that, that I really leaned into, uh, especially as somebody that's got like this brand content, photography, design background was like, we've got an opportunity here in a niche where there's not a lot of photography. It takes us a long time to try to find stock photos that fit us or look like our style. We don't have the budget to be hiring a photographer every quarter for new shots and, you know, wait around for the shots, blah, 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 blah. And so ultimately what that got me to was I can create on brand images with our ICP, with the age, with their ethnicity, with what they wear, in the locations that they work, with our brand colors in my desk. And I can do that fast and I can do that in per perpetuity by basically finding prompt templates that I've used and, and discovered in that process and just run them over and over and over again, right? And so what that allowed us to do was not only save time and money, you know, like we don't have to go digging for this stuff. We can create this on-brand library that's instantly accessible. But we we shortcutted that to apply consistency across any channel that we wanted and took a huge piece of that puzzle and solved for it by saying, hey, look, like team, here's all of our assets. They're all in one place. We have hundreds of images now. You can use this for social, blog, ads, creative, slides, collateral, events, swag. Right. And we did those things. Right. And so like that was one of the things that uh, I was involved in at Lasso, probably at the beginning of Q2. 
And my eyes just sort of opened really wide because I was like, there is a huge opportunity here for us to solve a big, big pain point. And uh, that was fascinating to me. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, right, I think you're probably in a camp where you either know stock photography sucks, it's painful, it takes a long time to do, brands are using the same images, they maybe don't fit your brand, um, or you've got sort of like a budget or a compromise issue, or you don't want to hire a photographer and fly them out to a location, blah, blah, blah. There's an opportunity here with AI to really solve these problems and stand out and do something different and appeal more to your target audience and your ICP and your end users by putting people that look and feel like them into the imagery, right? And making things more custom and more specific to them. So I think that's fascinating because as much as I love written content, visual content speaks faster. Uh, and I think it says a lot more. So um, I think that's a huge unlock that I think we're just starting to see. And that's sort of the, the precipice of why I started sort of the company I'm at right now. Well, as, as we close out, let's let's give you a chance to, to talk about that, um, what, what you're doing now, where people can find you, kind of sign us off here. Yeah, I mean, the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I've, I've been posting content on LinkedIn for over the last year and a half. It's been extremely rewarding for a number of reasons, um, the relationships, et cetera. So you can find me there. You know, with the company that I have right now, it's called Brainchild. And essentially we solved that problem I just described, right? Like if you're a brand, and you have no consistency, you want, you want to have this sort of branded library approach. You want to start thinking about how you can speed up your process, save more time and utilize AI. We can solve for that, right? Either in a deliverable format or a training format. And so that's sort of what I'm working with right now is really working with brands to say, hey, look, like, is your visual identity what you want it to be? Does it actually stand for the things that you want it to stand for? Does it properly represent you? Does it have the resonance with your audience? Because if not, there's never been a better time to solve it. Uh, so that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm working with, uh, you know, a number of different companies, right? Because a lot of businesses have this problem.